Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. The, uh, the job market today is, is really in pretty good shape with unemployment uh, down at very reasonable levels, uh, job creation steady, and uh, opportunities for recent college graduates getting uh, a little bit better uh, than perhaps it had been a year or so ago. Now, as we've discussed in the past on this podcast, younger workers are also far more likely to want to switch jobs every few years than, than any generation before them. So it's a different perspective uh, in terms of hiring and accepting positions for those folks. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, as always, I'm looking forward to our discussion today as it will draw on some of those factors I just mentioned as Lavelle Law Attorney Joshua Nesser and I discuss uh, restrictive covenants in employee agreements. We'll find out exactly what that means and kind of take a look at different points of view and chat about it and uh, also find out a little bit about what may or may not be allowed here in Illinois under current law. So a lot to cover. Let's get to it. Uh, Josh, thanks for making time. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to be back, Jim. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, um, from your perspective, you deal with employee or uh, corporations and employment agreements and things like that. Is this is this still a fairly common practice in hiring today? Yeah, it definitely is a common practice, and it, to be honest, it's one area of our employment law practice that that never really slows down. There's always issues, whether we're representing employers or employees, um, related to these restrictive covenants and, and whether they're enforceable and negotiating the covenants themselves, trying to negotiate out of them on behalf of the employee and, and everything in between. So you use that term restrictive covenants, and that's, that's really the heart of what we're talking about today. What, what does that mean, and, and how do they factor into these agreements with an employee? Yeah, restrictive covenant um, in the context of an employment agreement is a provision of the agreement that seeks to control what the employee can and cannot do outside the context of his or her employment. That extends to both actions the employee can and cannot take while employed and usually, and more importantly, for some period of time after that employment relationship ends. And what are some of the common types that that might be included then when we start to take a look at what these are? Probably the most common types and the ones that that most often turn into some sort of disagreement or dispute or legal issue are one, covenants not to compete, and we can talk through obviously what those are, and then two, restrictions on solicitation. Um, and just like the non-competes, we'll get into those, I'm sure. There's there's also different types of provisions that are put into an employment agreements, some dealing with confidential information and what employees can and cannot do with confidential information of their employer during employment and afterwards restrictions on ability to use certain intellectual property of the employer, and I'm sure there's many types of variations, but those non-compete and non-solicitation provisions are the most common and the, the most often disputed. Yeah, and now that the non-compete is something that um, I know we've touched on in the past, and I, I know there's been changes in it. So when you when you use that term, um, what does it usually define, and what, what, what might a non-compete clause include or limit in some way? Generally speaking, the employer is trying to prevent the employee from taking on work 
with a business that is in a position to compete with the employer or going out and starting their own business that is competitive with that of the employer. Um, and there's certain ways those restrictions need to be need to be structured to be enforced in Illinois, um, as with all restrictive covenants. But really the, the, the gist of those covenants is for the employer to protect itself from competition by an employee that it trained in the industry. And, and would that particular type of covenant, would it be bound in some way by either a time period or a specific geography? Yeah, there are certain, under Illinois law, there's there's certain employee protections that, that must be built into the covenant or else courts will not enforce them. And, and like you mentioned, two of the big ones are um, the non-competes must be reasonable in their geographic scope and they must be reasonable in their duration. So if there is some sort of business operating in Chicago and they put a, a non-compete in place that says employees cannot compete with them anywhere throughout the United States, courts likely aren't going to uphold that because they're going to find that the ge geographic scope is not reasonable. Similarly, similarly if, it, if the non-compete says this employee cannot compete against us in Chicago for the next 20 years, a court might look at that and say that's a little bit unreasonable and, and more likely they're going to enforce something that is two or possibly three years in scope, if not less, or in duration, if not less. And really, the, the court's goal is, is they don't want employers to be able to use these as ways to punish their employees for leaving. They want co companies to be able to use these, if at all, to protect their own business. And if these provisions mm -hmm. are not apparently designed to protect the business, but are designed as a penalty or a way to disencourage um, employees from leaving their employment, courts likely aren't going to enforce them. And, and I don't know if this is um, more of a question than we can handle here today, and you, you can kind of guide us if, if it uh, is a path not to go down, but how broad can the definition of competition be? We say You say you can't compete against the company, but do we really know what it means? Is there a pretty strict guideline as to what competing stands for in these cases? It's hard to give a real specific answer to that, but I would say that the more specific the contract is and the, the definition of what it means to compete, the more likely it is that a court will enforce it. More general language, a court is more likely to look at that and say, nobody knows what this means, we're not going to enforce it. Employee, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Uh, our advice to our clients is always, let's be as specific as possible to actually put in writing what you're trying to protect yourself against and the, the better you explain yourself and, and what you are trying to protect, the more likely a court is to agree with your position. And have you seen over the years, Josh, I, and, and you've worked with both sides of this, but it would seem to me that um, certain people in certain jobs have a very specific skill set. Um, you know, a salesman might be able to sell 10 different things, but there might be certain people that um, are very good at a very specific industry or job within an industry. Does that Does a company have more or less protection in, in those situations where someone is, is unique and going to be very marketable um, based on that unique skill set? I think the more specialized the job is, uh, the more likely a court is to say, wow, this, this employer actually does need some protection against this key employee um, going to a competitor and, and harming that employer's business or taking away from that employer's business. Probably the more that that the, the more the employer actually trains the employee and the more time the employer invests in that employee, the more likely it is a court would be to enforce that as well. Now, it, some of it is industry-specific. For instance, em, 
with respect to attorneys, non-compete provisions are not enforceable as a matter of public policy. So depending on what industry you're dealing with, that, that answer might change, but I think your thinking is correct. All right, now we could go on there, but but I want to make sure we get to the other major area you described, which is non-solicitation. Can you kind of explain what, what that would entail then? Yeah, a non-solicitation provision restricts, and these can be structured different ways, but basic ones will restrict an employee's ability to either solicit the employer, the former employer's customers after leaving their employment, meaning if you're working with a specific customer, you're selling to a specific customer, trying to take that business away and take it to your new um, employer or venture, or two, trying to solicit away the employer's other employees and bring them with you to your new employer or your new venture, whatever that may be. And uh, as always here on Chicago's Legal Latte, we, we try to uh, assist and explain or highlighting various legal concepts. Today I'm joined by attorney Joshua Nesser. And Joshua joins us from Lavelle Law, where his practice often focuses, as you've heard, on uh, issues like this in business and employment. He also does a great deal of tax work. We're, we're talking today about restrictive covenants and employee agreements. If, if you're going to need more information than we're going to get to today, uh, you can visit LavelleLaw.com or give Joshua a call. The main office eight four seven seven zero five seven five five five, and they will get Josh for you. Um, you, you talked about um, working with uh, employees in, in these types of situations. If someone has a has a job offer uh, that does include covenants, do you find that they're negotiable? And, and if if a written agreement has them in, should they should they be reviewed by someone before uh, an employee signs? Yes, as with any legal document, any contract, I always think it's a good step, good good idea to get your attorney involved and review it and make sure you know what you're signing. Um, if, if the first draft of an employment agreement includes one of these covenants, whether it's a covenant not to compete, a covenant not to solicit um, customers or employees, or, or something else that you're really not sure what it means, I definitely would get your attorney involved. And, and sometimes these things can be negotiated. And if, if you can't negotiate the restrictions out altogether. There might be certain tweaks you can make that, that will set you up to be in a better position to, to look for new employment down the line or whatever your plans are to put you in a better position to accomplish your goals. Um, and an attorney can help you, A, knowing what you're going to sign so you know what your restrictions are going to be down the road, and B, understanding what your options might be, whether that's trying to negotiate them out altogether or, or finding those ways to tweak them that the employer might be happy with or at least might accept that can put you in a better position when the time comes to, to look for new employment. And, and if you are looking for new employment and you might be leaving for a, any number of reasons, uh, perfectly valid ones, is it too late at that point to kind of negotiate your way out? Um, if you say, look, I, I want to leave, I know I have this agreement, but can we work something out? Or is it just at that point that you have no leverage? It's never too late. Um, there if these employers are really doing what, what courts want them to do and looking to protect themselves, maybe there's ways to structure your exit in a way that, that is not going to harm the employer's business. Maybe you'll agree that I won't touch these customers or I, I, I won't contact these customers or employees. Or if you're going to work for a business that might be a competitor of the employer, you can maybe say, let's agree that I won't work in this division. So if that if that's the only division that is competitive with the employer, maybe they just want to keep you out of that. So there definitely are, are points to negotiate if the employer is open to it. Um, 
and I think it's an avenue that is worth exploring rather than just saying, hey, I'm going to leave, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and leave it up to the employer to come back to me and, and try to stop me because employers are aggressive, especially with, with their key employees, and, and they will pursue litigation, and litigation, as we all know, is costly for both sides, and you want to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, and with a minute or so left, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, if, if employers are going to the trouble to put these into agreements, I assume that they intend to enforce them if, if they need to. So you, you see that on a fairly regular basis, that they, as you said, uh, tend to be aggressive in, in holding to the agreements? Definitely some are. I mean, I'm sure that some just use them as scare tactics and say, I'm going to put this in there, whether it's enforceable or not, I don't really care. And if if they call my bluff, I'm not I'm not going to do anything with it. But I don't think that's that's most often the case. Um, employers put these in their contracts with a view to enforce them, and often either they'll they'll use the threat of enforcement, which might scare the new employer off enough to even deal with the employee, or they'll actually go through with enforcement, file suit um, that can involve trying to get a temporary injunction in place that prevents the employee from doing any work for a competitor, and then pursuing that to trial if need be, which. Again, it's expensive, it's time-consuming, and, and it's not really good for anybody. And, and again, very broad question for you here, um, maybe a whole separate discussion, but in general, have you found the courts to be fairly consistent in, in how they rule in these uh, situations? This is one area of the law that's kind of always changing. The law even changes, or at least the court's perspective changes, whether you're in federal court in the Seventh Circuit or in state court. Um, the 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 overlying principles don't really change. They they want to see that employers are using these to protect themselves, and not as a penalty. But how they come to the conclusion of of what is legitimate and what is just being used to prevent employees from going elsewhere, that analysis changes depending on what year it is, where you're at, what what <laughs> level of court you're in, and and everything else. So it's a fluid situation, but um, with the kind of the same principles in mind. Well, a lot of factors that uh, can be addressed there and uh, certainly worthy of uh, perhaps future conversation. So many thanks to Joshua Nesser for joining us today and uh, appreciate his time as always. Pleasure to catch up with him. Uh, and unfortunately, we're going to let him go. But again, let me point you back to uh, reaching out to Josh if you need further information. You can uh, find everything about him at lavellelaw.com, get information on his practice, contact uh, information. Um, and you can also, while you're there, uh, download other podcasts, articles, and videos on a, a wide range of legal topics, uh, a wide collection of, of all of those. So uh, LavelleLaw.com is, is the place to go to check that out. I want to thank you for being here and listening today. We look forward to having you back with us again soon as well.